We are nearing the end of our Lessons in Carols service. I think one of the reasons why this Christmas story resonates so deeply in us uh, is that the Christmas story really is a story of people who are under stress. It's just normal human beings, really, uh, in very stressful situations. They're crying out to God for help. And one of the most amazing things is just to watch God respond to their cries for help, um, not just uh, with a word, but with his own presence. He comes and he is their answer to their prayer. I'm a pastor, but it's really problems that get me praying. And, uh, and so I, I find that um, when I can't solve a problem on my own, my prayer life all of a sudden gets better. Um, it's out of my sadness that I start to pray, out of my stress that I start to pray. Um, I remember about a decade ago, one of my closest friends from childhood went for a lung transplant. He, he went under surgery for a lung transplant. He had cystic fibrosis. And I remember talking with him the night before the surgery and just praying, God, just let Tim survive the surgery. Um, let, let his body accept the lung. Let him have a good long life. I remember when I had a work commitment sometime later, that work commitment was ending. I didn't know what the next job was going to be. And I remember just praying, you know, God, would you just provide me a job and and let me know where I'm supposed to live and where I'm supposed to work? Let it be the right one. Or that time I protested a a parking ticket that was given to me unjustly. (laughs) And I was just praying, oh God, and then just the rest of it, I'm not going to tell you what I prayed. (laughs) You know, we cry out in these stressful moments. We want God to respond. We want him to say, yes, I'll solve the problem. Just wave his magic wand, make it all go away. Or or maybe to speak really clearly, like just so clear we know uh, there's a sign from heaven where we're supposed to live, um, you know, what job we're supposed to work at, what we're supposed to pursue, who we're supposed to marry, like what is the will of God for my life? Or maybe a word from God, a response to God, behold, I am about to pour fire upon your enemies who maybe gave you a ticket. Grab some popcorn, watch it go down. Uh, we, We wish that God would respond in some real demonstrable ways when we're stressed out, when we're sad, when we're angry. Um, So what is God's normal response? How do we see him moving toward people who are in stressful situations, praying for deliverance, praying for help from God? Um, You know, I think it's great to look at the life of Joseph because around the time of Jesus, he was going through an incredibly stressful moment. One of the most painful sort of situations you could imagine being in In the ancient world, Um, you can look with me at Matthew 1, which tells a little bit of Joseph's story, the Christmas story, kind of from his perspective. Verse 18 uh, says a lot with a few words. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, from Joseph's perspective, uh, Mary had betrayed him, the love of his life, the one that he was going to spend the rest of his existence with, uh, had betrayed him um, in an unthinkable way. Betrothal ceremonies in the ancient world worked a lot like wedding ceremonies do in our world, except that you have a one-year pause in between the ceremony 
and coming together as husband and wife. So if you got betrothed, you came together, the whole village would come out, family would come out, friends would come out, there would be an exchange of vows, there would be a legal and spiritual binding of the couple together that would be very difficult to untangle. And then you have this year pause where you prepare for the marriage. Then there's a part two marriage ceremony. What happened with Mary and Joseph is that they came together in a betrothal ceremony, and then at some point along the way before their wedding ceremony, Mary came to him, or maybe Mary just began to show and said, Joseph, I'm expecting a child, and Joseph knows he's not the father. Now, this would have brought incredible shame upon Mary, incredible shame upon Joseph if he accepts Mary as his wife. And imagine the sadness of being Joseph, you know, she says it's the Holy Spirit, but I mean, I've never heard of that before. What's he to think? What's he to do? You can imagine Joseph going really through the the stages of grief. At first, there's shock, uh, you know, and denial, like this can't be true. This is not true. Or Maybe that leading to anger. How in the world could she do this to me? How could God let this happen? I've done everything right. And then that leading to depression. Man, I can't handle this. I cannot carry this weight. I cannot carry this load. And then finally to acceptance. You know, hard as it is, this, re- this is reality, and, I- and I've got to deal with it. So the pressure for Joseph to deal with it would have been immense. He's either... He can, have, he can throw Mary under the bus publicly. And as publicly as the betrothal ceremony was, he can say, this woman betrayed me and she sinned against me and against God and the village would have cast their anger on her and let Joseph go free. But then he loses his bride and he knows that she'll suffer uh, in incredible ways. The other option that he has uh, is to accept her, but then he becomes an outcast too losing business as a carpenter in the future, losing face, maybe defaming his own royal lineage. You can just imagine all the fears that Joseph would have. If I accept this woman and her baby, what's that going to mean for my life? And so Joseph does the best he knows how to do. Verse 19 uh, gives us kind of maybe the acceptance stage of his uh, of his grief, verse 19 says this, and her husband Joseph being a just man and, and, you know, and yet unwilling to put her to shame resolved to divorce her quietly. So here he is kind of threading the needle, doing the best he can to, uh, on the one hand, do what's right and um, on the other hand, um, sort of make do for his own life. It's less than ideal options. This is where a lot of us find ourselves in life. There's not really a clear answer. There's just a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure. We're not really sure what the way forward is for these dilemmas we get put into and what the right way is. And so we say, God, help me. We say, I need a way forward here. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm not sure what the right way is. And I'm afraid of so many different outcomes. So what would it be for us to hear from God? In those moments, the way Joseph did. What we see is that God moving toward Joseph and giving him three clear messages. And these messages are familiar because they're repeated a lot in the people of God, their history, 
from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, we hear God saying a lot of the same things over and over again to his people when they're crying out to him for relief, for justice, for help. And so as we put ourselves in Joseph's situation, I think we can hear these words from God as well, no matter where we come from in our spiritual journey. Most of us won't hear it audibly, but we can hear it in a way that our soul will recognize and can respond to. So the first response from God to Joseph is this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Verse 20 fleshes this answer out. But as Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So here we have a messenger from God, that's what angels are, coming from God's throne room, saying something that God wants to communicate to Joseph. And this messenger comes in the form of a lucid dream for him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear, don't be afraid to receive fully Mary as your wife, uh, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Now, as we've talked about, there's legitimate objections. Even if Joseph believes this is from the Holy Spirit, that's probably not going to mean that his village, that his family is going to believe it's from the Holy Spirit. It's just as preposterous to them as it is to modern people. Uh, There's not been a Holy Spirit uh, conception um, in all of the Bible until now. And Joseph here wants to preserve that family line of King David, you know, his ancestor King David, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like what would become of the inheritance God gave him if he receives Mary uh, as his wife? And I love the fact that the angel calls him by his name. And not just his name, but his full royal name. He says, Joseph, son of David. This is just an indication here that God really did know Joseph He knew Joseph's life. He knew Joseph's history. He knew Joseph's identity and everything that brought him to this moment. And so God did something with Joseph that he's done throughout history, which is he calls people by their name, by their name that they've been given. Um, And in so doing, he's saying, I know you. I love you. I know the pressure you're under. I know the anguish that you have. Uh, I know the decision that you're facing and all the worst case scenarios that just spin and spin in your heart. And so I've come to bring peace. I've come to say, do not fear. Um, And he also says, that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here's a reason not to be afraid. God's at work in a hidden way. No one sees it. But I'm telling you that what you think is a problem God is actually right there at the heart of this issue, at this problem, and he's working. For you, what fears emerge when you're under stress? You find yourself afraid that something's going to go wrong, that there'll be disaster, that there'll be pain. Do you feel re- fear rejection? Do you fear loss or failure or poverty? Um, do you have fears related to your body? Do you have fears related... Uh, to your kids, to your job, to stability, to to the city, to the world, to, to politics, we can be confident 
that this word for Joseph, don't be afraid, um, is a word from God for us, and not just for us generally, but for us personally. It's one of the most frequent commands, do not be afraid, is said over a hundred times in Scripture. Um, And he's at work in every situation that we encounter, in every worst-case scenario that may hit us, uh, he's at work. And he can give us courage to face these situations. What he's doing for Joseph here is he's loosening the vice grip of anxiety over Joseph's soul. And just that anxiety that can totally uh, tighten around our life and choke off love and choke off courage and choke off our ability to face those situations that we're so afraid of. When God speaks to us our name and then saying, don't be afraid, he's taking that vice grip off of our throat and he's letting courage flow into our soul that's not from us, that's from the Holy Spirit. Um, And then what happens is, like Joseph, we can go into this situation, back into this situation, with a supernatural, deep, abiding peace that the world is so desperate to encounter, that our situations call upon. And in fact, we are living out the calling we have by facing anxious situations with a peace that passes all understanding. There's a beautiful, one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Isaiah 43, God speaks to his people who have been taken away from their homes and kept in bondage. And he says, um, but thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. You belong to me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And the rivers shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. He calls Israel by her proper name. And then he invites Israel to respond to him with his proper name. You know, our worst case scenarios might come true. The fires, the floods. Uh, Joseph's worst case scenarios might come true. He might be shamed. He might be losing business, losing face. He might be falsely accused and face hardship. And yet, God's work was the foundation for his peace. And the next message that he speaks to Joseph gives him even greater reason to be at peace Because God doesn't just say, don't be afraid. He also says the second message through Jesus, which is, I will save. I will save. It's another message repeated consistently throughout Scripture to God's people. I will save. In other words, whatever your mess, I can fix it. Whatever your trouble, I will come to you and get you out. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's someone else's fault. It doesn't matter whose fault at this point. I'm going to come get you and save you. That's God's signature move. Uh, This week, I was reading stories coming out of Chicagoland Prison Outreach. This is the organization that we're going to take up a collection for to support their mission in our greater Chicagoland area later um, in a few minutes. I was reading about all the changed lives from them, and one of the stories I read about was a man named Walter. It's not his real name, but it's a real story. 
Walter grew up in a stable background, but then around age 12, he started getting into trouble. He started stealing things. He started breaking into cars, and then he started assaulting people, uh, and um, he was in and out of juvenile detention as a teenager. And then in the process of robbing someone, Walter actually took someone's life, and he was convicted of murder, and he was sent to jail for 17 years. He served 17 years in jail. And then he was released from jail. And, you know, uh, as these things go, Walter went back to his old life. He broke into someone's apartment. They came home when he was in their apartment. To escape, long story short, he ended up jumping out of the building onto the street. He broke his back. He shattered his tailbone. And he shattered both of his heels. Now, if this wasn't enough, Walter had a series of tragedies in his life his niece, his father, and his wife all passed away in a very short period of time. So if you can imagine, Walter's whole life is in shambles here. His health, his, uh, his wider network, and even his own background in crime and in prison. Walter says this, this event, the death of his wife, this event caused me to go over the edge, and I went from snorting a line of heroin once a week to shooting two grams of heroin a day. I was literally trying to put myself into an early grave. I was trying to die. And then in his final term in prison, Walter uh, was at the lowest point in his life trying to die. And he was placed in a, um, a community that was run by Chicagoland Prison Outreach. It, they called it a life learning dorm that cared for the whole, it was like a wraparound, cared for the whole person, gave you relational support, spiritual support. It also taught you life skills, vocational skills like carpentry and other trades. All of it intended to prepare you from the inside out for release from prison so that you don't, you're not going back in, but you actually are transformed from the inside out. And what Walter experienced was Jesus saying, I can save. Like, no matter how bad your health, your family, your grief, like, I can pick all of this up I can scoop all of it up and make you a new person and give you a new life. I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to run toward you. And uh, Walter actually was released from prison this past Friday. And now he's back in his community, reweaving the old bonds, this time as a newly transformed person. Walter says, I should have died many times in my life. But for reasons that I cannot explain, God has saved my life, and I praise him for opening my eyes to his word. Now I leave my life up to God because I know that he will give me the strength to endure. Now our story might be different from Walter's in one way or another, but we've all got some problems in our life. We've got problems with our health and our body, sicknesses and diseases and injuries and pain. We've got problems with our soul. Anxieties, habits, resentments. We've got family problems. You know what? We've got church problems. We've got city problems and division problems and instability and hatred and corruption problems, some of which are not even of our own making, some of which we've participated in. You know what I love about the story of Christmas is that it shows us that in response to our problems, that God doesn't go, you know what? You're just like this toxic person with you're a hot mess 
and I need to keep my distance from you until you get your life in order. He actually says, no, I can save. That's my name, in fact, and I'm going to draw near to you in your life and in your problems, and I can fix it, and I can help you. Um, Matthew 121, the angel says to Joseph, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is a shortened version of the old Hebrew phrase, Yahweh saves. Yeshua saves. That's his name. He saves. He delivers. He's a fixer, a healer. Um, Joseph thought that Mary's baby was a result of sin, but it turns out the opposite was true. Mary's baby was the solution to sin. What might God say to you? If he spoke to you personally, if he spoke to you directly and, and called your name, I think he would say this. Give me your biggest problems, the ones that you're afraid to show anyone, the ones that you can't fix. I can fix it. I can save it. That's why I came. Jesus would take our sins with him to the cross. God would raise him from the dead, and he would begin a new life, a new world, invite us to be a part of it, make us new creatures just like Walter. This would have come as good news for Joseph, and it's good news for us today. There's one more message, though, that God speaks to Joseph. You know, at first he says, don't be afraid. And then he says, I can save. And then finally he says, I am with you. I am with you. You know, a recent nationwide study found that half of American adults experience regular, painful loneliness, half. 54% of respondents to this survey found, uh, said they sometimes or always feel that no one knows them very well. They're not really known and loved like they long to be. 56% said that though they feel surrounded by people, lots of people everywhere, um, but they don't feel connected to those people in a meaningful way. Mother Teresa once said this, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. Loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. When we're feeling that loneliness, when we're feeling that spiritual emptiness inside, God's word to us is this, I am with you. That is, in fact, Jesus' other name. So his name is Jesus, Yahweh saves, but his name is also Emmanuel, God with us. Verse 22 unpacks this a little bit. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. What does God with us mean? Uh, imagine coming home to an empty apartment night after night. You don't know any of your neighbors. You spend the evenings and weekends alone. The heat in your apartment is sometimes shut off because of the mismanagement and neglect of the landlord. And your place is kind of a mess because there's no one to host and then the mess that you have keeps you from inviting people over. And then imagine that one day you get a roommate and 
the roommate gets underneath the blanket with you and shivers with you when it gets cold. They, they see the mess in the apartment, but they don't judge you for it. They're right there with you. And then in some ways that don't alarm you, they begin to maybe clean it up a little bit and even involve you in the process. Um, they may meet the other neighbors and then against your will introduce you to those neighbors. They may even throw a party hosted at your apartment and get you involved in the party. Maybe at one point you go with the roommate, they give you the oomph that you need to talk to the landlord about the heat and they make it right. You know, after this year with this roommate who's just with you day in, day out, on the weekends, at night, you can tell they enjoy being around you. They genuinely like you. And life around you is changing to the point where you're in the same apartment, but after a year or so, you're living a totally different life. And that's God with us. When Jesus came to be among us, to, to be a baby with skin on, to come so close, it's, he's getting under the blanket with us to shiver. And he's, in his own way, making the world new around us. That, in a way that is so inviting, getting us involved in the process, speaking our name, speaking a blessing over us, redeeming the world around us, not destroying it, not destroying us. You know, one of Jesus' most enduring words to the people who followed him, his apprentices, is he said, listen, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That he's not a roommate that ditches after a year. Uh, he's actually one that stays with you, stays with us, knows you better than you know yourself and transforms you from the inside out. If God spoke to you in your stress, what would he say? Is there one of these messages that he spoke to Joseph that he might speak to you? Hey, don't be afraid. Um, I, I, I will save. I can fix this. I can save you. I am with you. These words had a real impact on Joseph because we see him after the dream what does he do? He gets up and he, he does the most courageous thing that he could do, which is he embraces Mary as his wife. And he takes Jesus as his son and he names him Jesus as he was instructed to do. And all of history seemed to turn on that decision that Joseph made out of the courage that he received from the living God. We can respond in a similar way. Just as Joseph named his baby Jesus, we can call on the name of Jesus. We can always call on the name of Jesus uh, to help us know how to navigate a, an unclear, perplexing situation. We can call on the name of Jesus and put into his hands anything that we feel afraid about. You know, we can call on the name of Jesus when there's a mess in our life and we're not sure how it's going to get cleaned up. We can call on the name of Jesus to be with us in our life or in our death. We can call on the name of Jesus when we're under stress or, or sin or sadness. We can call on the name of Jesus uh, 
to speak truth into our fears and to go with us in the fire. And he will answer that prayer. He will always answer that prayer. Uh, Because at the end of the day, when we call out his name, whether or not we can hear it, he's been calling out our name the whole time. Let us pray together. Jesus, we call on your name now. We've got a lot of situations represented here that need your intervention, that need you to speak, Lord. We don't want to talk to a wall. We want to talk to our Father, to our Savior, to the Spirit that's among us. We ask that you would speak to us. I ask that you would speak the names of of your sons and daughters here so that they can hear you, recognize that it's your voice, and then speak to them in a way that you've spoken to your beloved sons and daughters for thousands of years. And we pray uh, that we would, this week, in this Christmas tide, call on the name of Jesus and hear you speak and watch you act. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.